0: out from the crowd, are you looking for exclusive content you can't get anywhere else? Sign up for the shoulder of Orion Patreon at bladerunnerpodcast.com slash support and show the world you're something special. The following audio entertainment is brought to you by the kind folks at Tyrell Corporation, reminding you that civil registration isn't just common sense. It's the law. In the face of the fabulous new, your only thought is to kill it? For fear of great
1: change? You can't hold the tide with a broom. Your models are happy scraping the shit
2: because you've never seen a miracle.
1: Welcome to Blade welcome to Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner Podcast. <laughs> There's my fuck up. Oh my god, that was another one. Uh, uh, double fuck up.
2: We're a disaster. <laughs>
0: let it be known that before we started so this is the second time okay hang on but let's do a quick check-in with people who are just tuning into the actual podcast now we are we are live on facebook this is a live video stream to facebook so if you don't follow us on facebook you should consider doing that because you just missed a 10 minute random waffle session that will now be lost to history but in that (laughs) waffle session we talked at great length about rick howard and his incredible gift of these patches and the reference to orion of the roughnecks it'll be on facebook
1: this will remain on facebook that'll
0: be on facebook okay well you know who won't be on facebook is peter from the midwest who is one of our very dearest friends and who sent us a beautiful housewarming gift which i also thanked him for so thank you peter thank you rick thank you everybody who makes this digital experience less digital and more human and um and we are uh, getting back into this kickoff 2049 episode with dan who has been um, somewhat in absentia lately? His his schedule has been really crazy, but he's been on frame rates, so you've been hearing from him. But it's been a little while since we've kind of had a formal, uh, you know, slot with Dan on the show. Um, and this being the kickoff for twenty forty nine, we figured, you know, we should kind of kick things off with him giving us a rundown on how he's doing. So, Dan, we want to pick up where you left off.
2: Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, nice to be back on a, on the official show. I know we're going to do a twenty forty nine series soon, so we'll definitely all be involved reading material and interviewing people for that. Um, but yeah, you know, I think, uh, just been going through it at my own pace, just how everyone is. I'm in a pretty privileged, privileged position in terms of work. Uh, I've been working, but getting plenty of time off as well. And so I've been able to do little things here and there, um, go like social distance hikes or, you know, I set up my projector in the backyard. So we've been doing movies every once in a while. I can fit a few people in my backyard and still social distance. So we've been doing that, which has been really nice, especially since 300 people. Yeah. <laughs> you've seen my backyard <laughs> um yeah but so especially with theaters closed uh that's been a really nice thing to do uh one of the nights i was able to project on the front of my house and so that was like for the block I actually Ooh. projecting gladiator which is exactly the most pg thing to project to the block but my neighbors are cool anyways um So that's been nice, but it's accompanied by a feeling of guilt for people who are struggling and are out of work or finishing up unemployment or just having trouble paying bills, you know? Um, So yeah, it's a very interesting time. And, you know, to be honest, my connection to film and how that's been sort of living inside me, um of late is less about any one film in particular and more about just the film experience, especially again, being able to play some for people at my house. I was like, when I forgot what a sense of, I don't know, there's a sense there's, even though you're watching a movie on your own, even in a theater, there's a sense of community to it and a sense that, you know, we have these places where we can gather and get together and see the latest or see something old that's being projected again, anew. you know, Um, and that's, a really good time. And, you know, it's like you think about going out to dinner with friends and how long it's been since we all did that, just all these weird things. And again, some of them are relatively trivial compared to some of the struggles people actually. Um, and I think we try and help each other out, but we also like have our own experience to live and, and our own um, ups and downs with it in terms of dealing with solitude and dealing with, you know, you guys just moved. There's lots of things to deal with. Um so yeah, I think 2049 falls under uh, the group of films that sort of makes me think about the future and makes me think, um, you know, I, I guess the best way I could describe it, and this will cover 2049 and other films that I've been getting back into and watching. I was re-listening to our um, philosophy and Blade Runner interview, the one Jamie and I did with Professor Shanahan. And he had a really great quote in there where he quoted a friend of his, I think. And it was uh, trying to describe the discipline of philosophy, trying to explain philosophy uh, or sum it up. And he said, philosophy is the study of, um, I think he said the study of, but basically shining old light on new problems and new light on old problems. And I love that, and it also kind of reminded me of why I like science fiction and why I like seeing um, the plight of characters in a science fiction setting. It's the same reason I like history. If you go 2000 years into the future, or if you go 2000 years into the past, you will find that the problems that plague humanity don't change very much. The context changes, the circumstances change, and if it's far enough in the past, or futuristic enough as a sci-fi story into the future, whether that's distance and time or whether it's just, the environment and what has happened, you know, does earth exist anymore, et cetera. But the point is you can't exactly see yourself living in that time, right? The better the director, the better the production, the closer you will get to that feeling, right? We've talked about leaving the theater and feeling like we were in case spinner and experiences like that, where you can really be immersed in the experience. Um, but mostly I think we connect to the characters, because their plight is familiar. We understand what um, mourning is. We understand what loss is. We understand what isolation is. Uh, We understand what love is. All these things can happen in different settings. And um, the people that wrote about it, whether it's Marcus Aurelius or Philip Dick, to be honest, Um, Display something different about it through characters, whether fictional or historical, and we get to then connect to that story and experience it for ourselves. So that's, that's been kind of like a lot of what's been going on in my head, um, in terms of fictional stories and, and film. Is sort of thinking about the other things People have gone through and civilizations have gone Through and then and then thinking back to What we're going through um, especially As a nation you know I know prime Made a bunch of like civil rights uh, Movies and like you know Black culture and and civil rights Movement and just you know those kinds of topics They made all those movies free and available Um, If you haven't seen blind spotting For example which is set in Oakland in modern times um, That's a really really great film with uh, David Diggs from um, Ham He's he was on that production um, Anyways, sorry, I'm uh, meandering now Since I haven't been on the show in a while But that's kind of what's been going a little bit of what's been going through my head and how i've been connected to fiction and science fiction throughout this time
0: wow i have i haven't done that in a long time i was muted for a second there um it's funny jamie was asking me uh the other night like why i i wasn't contributing more ideas for episodes
1: Um, i didn't
0: say that no not like in a mean way but but you you were just like you know just asking me why i hate this podcast he was like what the fuck is wrong with you (laughs) but but he was just he he, he, you know he can tell that that i'm not in like the normal headspace that i'm both y'all Yeah, there's there's something. In but the air. it's
1: but yeah, but we were talking about it in the context of everyone is distracted. Everyone, right. yeah,
0: right, right. Well, I mean, that's where we came around. Is is that it's not like I don't it's not like I don't have ideas for episodes. It's that I feel like I just personally feel almost like inappropriate doing things as usual and what's what's funny let me unpack that for a second before we get into the movie because i want to be clear that it's not inappropriate that these conversations are still valid and are still relevant and and still need to happen and there are plenty of people out there around the world who listen i mean i I, you guys have seen our metrics before like most much of our listenership isn't even in the united states people like we have a huge listener base in germany and australia you know it's we have an actual you know literal global audience and everybody has different life experiences and is going through different things and is in different stages of whatever you know, state their country is in at any given moment. And there are plenty of people out there who can listen to a podcast about film And um, get a lot out of it if it's just sort of the way that we've always done it. Um, The hard thing, though, is that uh, on the creative side of that equation, it's hard to do things as usual if you feel like nothing is usual anymore or you feel like you don't have a vocabulary to understand what's usual and what's not. And for me personally, it's not like I'm not living through these movies the way that I normally do. It's that I just can't figure out how um, how to talk about them at the moment. And I think it's symptomatic of, of a larger problem that I'm personally feeling, which is I don't really know how to talk about a lot of things anymore. Um, and I think that that's probably one of the healthiest things that's ever happened to me as a as a person. I think that like it's I'm somebody who's been able to kind of talk my way through things and out of things and beyond things a lot in my life. And I kind of can't right now. Like I can't, you know, there's a lot of things that are kind of beyond my grasp at the moment. Um, and it's funny that in that context, these movies that I'm so used to talking about at this point are somehow in that bucket. So when we were talking over the weekend about how like we need to do another sort of formal episode soon and uh and we all want to it's not that this has anything to do with not having the desire to it's just hard to think about um you know we were mentioning how 2049 is still this thing that's kind of looming on the horizon that we know we're getting to and i was mentioning how 2049 for me although it's a film that i've talked about more than i've talked about almost any other single subject in my life um I see it very differently now. And I don't know if I can even, uh, you know, illuminate all the ways in which I do see it differently because again, I feel kind of speechless at the moment. But there are things in 2049 that I think I missed the first 14, 16, 20 times that I saw it. Um, And I think those things are coming out in the open now. Something, you know, that's come up a lot when we have had people on the show lately on these, you know, community roundtable episodes, these interlinked shows that we've been doing, you know, a lot of people have mentioned isolation, Kay's isolation the isolated nature of life in Los Angeles of 2049. Um, A lot of people have mentioned this disconnected feeling of this virtual experience of, you know, having, you know, virtual love and virtual communication and, you know, et cetera. And those are things that like I completely see and empathize with and understand also. But there's, there's other things now that I'm noticing in the movie that I think kind of slipped under my radar a little bit. And one of them, if it's okay to kind of just talk and start the conversation off, one of them is how structured that society is and how that structure is very much a symptom of the values that that society has. And if you look at the values that that society has, I think it tells you a lot. So you know, obviously, there's the off-world segment of things, right, which we don't see, but we know is for people with privilege who don't, you know, need, need to get involved. They don't need to be in the squalor, right. And then there's the people who are still on-world who enforce this really tight regimented hierarchy, right, where there are rules you, and there are lines you don't cross, like just like Josie says, you know, uh, there's, you know, the world is on a wall, right, and and you can't break that. Um, And then within that, there are other hierarchies that are sort of sub-hierarchies too. And there's other hierarchies of rebellion too, because there's, you know, this whole revolt movement going on, but there are commanders and there are people who are committing, you know atrocities within that there are people fighting, you know, wars on behalf of of peace, or on the behalf of equality for replicants. And, uh, and I'm just I I think I've I've been thinking a lot about strata and how strata tells you something about a society. And we've seen very clearly over these last few weeks in the United States and elsewhere, but especially United States, um, what happens when systems that are in place to keep people subjugated, um, start to become clearer to everybody at the same time. Um, and start to become, for the first time, feeling like they could be breakable in some way. Um, and, and I'm feeling a lot of this thematic resonance with what happens in 2049, with the miracle, you know, that, that, that this system that has been set up forever to subjugate replicants might be something that could break, might be something that could topple and how afraid the people in power are that that could happen, how much they stand to lose if the replicants can reproduce, how much they can stand to lose if replicants are suddenly on the same footing as you know humans. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about that and thinking a lot about what it says about me that I'm just now kind of starting to care more about that side of the film uh, and the things that I might miss in life because of my privilege and because of who I am. And it's been a really healthy thing for me to be thinking about
1: good stuff. It's, I think to walk back a little bit to what you said earlier in terms of feeling, or even what Dan was mentioning, um, like, how do we regroup? How do we talk about, we can't go on as if things are normal because they will never be. Um, That's the world that we live in. So, and again, I, I can see this societal uncomfortableness everywhere. Everyone's really uncomfortable, not just because of the pandemic. Now we're living in this incredible historical social upheaval, and it's really uncomfortable for everyone. I mean, again, you could, I've been talking with um, Patrick about this, but you can go on social media and almost hear a pin drop in some ways. Most of the chatter is all current events. It's all current events. Um, And no one's talking about movies. There's very few fandom conversations happening. It's all like standstill. Nobody knows what to say or when to say or how to say. Um, And I've been thinking it, what's interesting about what you're saying in 2049 that you're you're seeing it in a different way the way that i've seen it and i'm not sure you're alluding to this in terms of replicants but i've Always I mean Gethsemane was me identifying with replicants, identifying with people who historically within that universe have been subjugated and and, um enslaved. Um and that's always been for me what has drawn me to certainly twenty forty nine, but also definitely I mean you look at Roy Batty in twenty nineteen, I mean What's his whole last discussion with Deckard, as we all know, is him telling him, this is what life is like as a slave. Um, And you better live your life as a free man, because not everybody is free and wake up. um, And, you know, people laud that scene and they laud Roy Batty for this, you know, this Christ sacrifice that he made. Roy Batty was a slave. His people were subjugated and brutalized and beaten decade after decade after decade after decade. And at the end, he had his his song saying, I know what, I know what freedom tastes like. I know how important this is. And I've seen conversations or criticism here and there about art and using art for political means or mixing the two and how people should mix the two art has always been political. Art has always been a, a, an indictment of society, a commentary on society, um, or, a uh, uh, either a blessing on society or a curse that's art, whether it's a painting or a play. I mean, look at to kill a mockingbird. I mean, it's this famous, this famous, incredible um, book that became a play, that became a movie and all it is, it's, it's, it's on race relations. I mean, you could, you could tell that same story and use a replicate instead of a black man and it would still work. Um, so what, none of this is incongruous to each other. Like all of this matters. We, and, Patrick, you said this brilliant thing to me last night. You said, I don't watch movies. What did you say? Like I, you said, I watch movies to find out more about who I am. Can you, yeah, you I said, said
0: I, I said, I do, but hang on. Let me also clarify something. I, I wasn't saying that I haven't cared about the slave aspect before. That's always been a huge, no, thing. I, I'm not saying you it's, didn't care. I'm just saying, you're... no, but I, I want to, cause I don't think I'm expressing myself clearly okay. to anybody listening to this. Cause I'm sort of waiting my way through. It's more that what I'm more aware of now is how intentional the lines were and why they were so intentional because it was what, the cat people in privilege could stand to lose if they were not there. So the the whole like slave thing that's that's always been one of the main themes that I've cared about, but it's the intentionality of that division that to me is something that's becoming much more like the reasons why it's set up like that, you know. But in terms of movies, um I think what I was saying last night was um I don't watch movies to uh to escape from the world I live in. I watch movies to understand it. Um and 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 like you're saying like you know, we had this whole conversation this weekend about whether or not to get into current events on the show and there are people who are going to turn this podcast off right now. And you should know that that we love you and that we understand that and that it's it's okay if that's your um, prerogative it's okay but um but blade runner is a movie that is about things that aren't just escapist light entertainment um it's a movie about the human condition and about the darkest parts of the human condition as well as the most brilliant parts and that's why it's a movie we all come back to and this conversation we're having now is only political if you try to politicize it i think but talking about human rights and talking about subjugation and talking about enslavement and talking about uprisings th- those are things that shouldn't be political because they're They're about fundamental human rights. But that being said, though, um, you know, if you object to that, we understand and that's fine, but we don't care. You can <laughs> and just don't listen to these
1: episodes <laughs> if you don't want to
0: hear any of that stuff. And we will still be here when, uh, you know, when we're done talking about 2049, but James, th- back to, back to what you were well, saying. Sorry.
1: Well, I think it's um, important to remember, and this is something that will probably evolve into its own two-parter that's separate from perfect organism or shoulder of Orion, but the idea of a resistance or a rebellion and why we've always identified with the rebels from star Wars or the resistance in hunger games, or so many films where you have this band of, of misfits trying to find the the system trying to, and Blade Runner is no different. Blade Runner is um, it takes on some different forms whereas you have sort of these in Blade Runner you have Roy Batty essentially himself and his his replicant brothers and sisters fighting the system as much as they can, not so much to topple it they just want to live a little bit longer that's all that they wanted and then enter 2049 and it's full scale replicant rebellion happening, it's rumbling It's, it's this rumbling and you feel it and you hear it and Kay's sort of caught in the middle of it, but this is these are the films that we've always loved as people. And we've always, I mean, I'm sure there's people who love the empire and they'd rather be in the empire, but most people they're cheering for Luke. They're cheering, get the empire, do all these things. These are the, these are the experiences that we've had. These are the, the resistance and the rebellion and However many different iterations of those types of um, ideas we've seen in films have always been the films that we've seen. I mean, of course, that's not always happening in movies, but a lot of science fiction films, fantasy, it's always the little guy against the big guy. Even if you're talking Fern Gully or Elysium or Avatar, it's this, it's this group of people or beings or whatever fighting to save their home, fighting for what's right. That has been the human narrative, especially in art and in film for a long, 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 long time. So what we're seeing now play out in front of us in real life, for me, there's no question what's going on. There's no question um, what the right side of history is. There's no question, I'm not here to get into beyond the right side of history, obviously. I'm here just to talk about my own personal journey. But I, and I think what's been difficult, even now that we're in this era of fighting the system, as a country um or changing the system let's just say that um looking for um to change a system that's been um, brutal to a, a specific group of people um i think the lines are clear and i think it's also been it's been strange and uncomfortable how to to figure out how to talk about it even for me um, because I'm someone who we've discussed this before with uh, just winging it I pass for being non-black I might not pass for being white but I certainly pass for being non-black and my life has been much easier I have never had any problems with the police I was stopped when I was younger um, when I looked my hair was curlier my features looked a little bit different I remember being stopped stopped walking um, in Chicago and my hands were pulled up into my jacket because I was cold and they, all these police came out and they stopped me and they said put your hands out of your of your jacket. And I was like, okay. And I did. And they're all looking at me going up and down. And they're like, would you have anything in your hands? I said, no. And they're like, where are you going? I said, oh, to this church over here. And they're like, oh, you just look like something, don't you? And I was like, I guess, I don't know. I was wearing all Carhartt too. And I guess that was a, that's what gangs do. Or at any rate, not to get too far into that, but this experience has always been right close to my heart. Um, and that's why I love Blade Runner. That's why, that's why I love Star Wars. That's why I love Dune. That's why I love Hunger Games um, and stories of the little guy trying to not just fight for what's right for himself, but for others and i feel like that's what that's why we're here as people and that's why kay's story is so powerful for me as he gets to this point in 2049 where he has to decide do you just go home or do you go and fight for decker do you go and do what's right and kay decided even though he realized he wasn't this integral part of the story he went and sacrificed his life to do the right thing and the story resonates so so in a way now for me whereas remember when we talked about before how uncomfortable the world of 2049 felt it didn't feel as comforting as blade runner i don't feel that way anymore. I feel like that world is comforting to me for whatever reason. It's just taken on this whole new feeling where I, I put it on my my TV and I hear that music and I'm in that spinner with Car and I feel like I'm home. And I think because our world is so close to that experience emotionally, socioeconomically, uh, even in terms of the distance that we have to... to, Even just the proximity
0: of people to one another, right? Absolutely. absolutely. That's the thing to me that I've noticed, not to cut you off just for a second, but something I I wanted to point out was that in the past, I've had a very similar experience because it doesn't feel like 2019 is realistic in in a lot of ways anymore to my daily experience whereas 2049 to me because people are like far apart from one from one another because that's toxic outside because everybody's you know irradiated and you know and it just feel it feels like way more physically accurate to the experience that i'm having now just as a person navigating this world you know sorry jamie
1: no i i that's That's really it. I just, I think as, and we've been discussing this before um, in interlinked episodes in terms of how we're recontextualizing 2049. And even if I think about Kay and Kay lived in a world where all of society... Yes, he was integrated, but he was not integrated at all. He was, he was separate and he got like the fingers pointed. He was called, you know, he had graffiti on his door. He had, you know, other cops in the headquarters saying, fuck off skin job. I mean, he was not living. He was definitely living the life of a, uh, uh, he was experiencing what it's like to live in a prejudiced structure structural system like that's the system where he was there but nobody wanted him there that's where he lived but nobody wanted him in that building and it's just so powerful for me now and even though it was powerful for me before um it's even more powerful for me now and then i think about that one scene where him and love are talking when she's showing him the the little memory sphere and she says this one thing that struck, struck, stuck out to me when I first saw the film, she goes, isn't it, she goes, isn't it thrilling when they ask you personal questions? I'm botching that right now. And she goes, it makes one feel desired. And I remember when that movie came out, I said, you could put two African-American people there and say the same thing because they don't live in the society the same way other people do. And now that's more, it's more real for me.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's been an interesting collection of opinions, I guess I would call it that we've had over the show. Um, not always about 2049, but the last few comments I can think of are related, but, you know, we did our episode, um, where we had, uh, Evie on as a guest, who's a transgender woman. And I remember her talking about, and that was really powerful to hear her experiences about feeling like an other in society. And I remember specifically her saying, going just from one second to the next, from fitting in And flying under the radar to someone threatening to kill you because of who you are is a really extreme jump, you know? And it's like, that's very, very Blade Runner-esque, you know? Um, Or I remember uh Micah's comment about... K in the police station walking past the cop that tells him F off skin job and he kind of makes himself small as he walks past him and kind of cowers down. And Micah was describing that as an experience that women have, you know, where she was like, Yeah, I've like I, I know that feeling of just trying to make yourself so that people aren't gonna pick on you and just like hide basically." um and not that you know anybody can have moments of those experiences regardless of your background, class, race, whatever. Um But definitely, you know, Underprivileged groups tell us these stories over and over and over again. And for people who pass, quote unquote, which we've talked about before, because again, we all have mixed background. I'm like part Italian. like, um you know we we all have a mix that people can't necessarily know our background. But, um, yeah, having those experiences sort of brought to the foreground and and lit up, so to speak, has made me, yeah, think about what it's like to navigate life as one of these people who at times can be looked at as lesser than, Um, and yeah, I agree. I agree with you guys. I think it's been brought more to the forefront now and, um, it does change the way I look at, film in general you know because i do draw more par- parallels between Kay's experience and um replicants experiences and people who are abused in our culture
0: also i think Stelene is uh, is like the elephant in the room in some ways and we're going to be doing an episode on her soon so i'm, I'm not going to get super into it but her character has become so much more interesting to me than i think she it's not like I, I didn't find her interesting before but she's a character i've just thought about a lot more lately and i've also just noticed more people posting about her and sharing fan art and things like that like i think that character is kind of having a bit of a joy or a love moment right now where she's co- sort of becoming like a character people are talking about more. And I think there are some real reasons behind that. One of them that I think is kind of universal is just the notion of disease and having to be contained and having to be protected, right? That, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of um, COVID-19 you know, crossover things going on with that in people's subconscious. But for, as a parent, something with her that I'm thinking a lot about is the f- idea of navigating these insane times as a parent with young kids and you know she's basically protected by this bubble you know literally a physical one to keep out all of these things that could get in and to also keep her from knowing the truth about a lot of things and um and as a parent living through times where like i i'm as i've said many times in this episode already like i don't know how the fuck to even talk about it with myself or my wife let alone translating it for young children who are asking questions about it because it is everywhere i mean it's and, and they can see how stressed out we are and their friends are talking about things and the teacher talks about things you know and they're when they're not in school, they're at home with us in quote unquote school at our house and so like it's it's up to us more than ever to have ways of dealing with this and I'm really aware of that bubble now that bubble that Staline is in and I'm aware of the bubbles that we put around our own children and and like i mentioned to Jamie on the Just Wing It episode uh, like I, I'm, I'm trying to be very intentful on breaking that bubble so that when it happens it's for a very specific reason that is not glossing over the truth about what's happening but it's also not making them terrified and it's also not making them feel like the the immense weight that every adult in the country is feeling at the moment for all sorts of various reasons right um and it's making me it's more resonant than ever the lengths that her parents went to to ensure her survival for better or for worse you know um because our kids have been through so much in this five month period or whatever the fuck it's been at this point. Um, like, you know, just the other day we were talking, you know, we were talking about how the our kids are obviously having some sort of emotional issues, you know, more than usual just because of the nature of what's going on. And uh, Micah was like, well, like, you know, what do you expect? I haven't been inside a store since February. And I was like, holy shit. You know, it's such like a quotidian mundane thing, but when it's gone, it is it is such a signifier of difference it's such a it's a very visible reminder the fact that my children don't go into stores. Like they just don't go into stores and they haven't for so long that they probably don't really remember what that was like, you know? And when we go to stores, it's such a production. It's only one of us at a time, right? And we bring with us a box with gloves in it and a mask and, you know, spray. And then we stand outside in the mudroom and we spray shit down. And then it has to stay in the sun for an hour. You know what I mean? Like all of these, just these, you know, crazy rituals that we have now, which makes sense. And I'm not demeaning these things whatsoever, but the kids are just like, and this is just part of their everyday life now, right? Um, and I'm, I'm realizing like how, uh, how much they've been through that I'm not even aware of at this point and how much Staline must've been through that we're never privy to in the film, because we only see her as this sort of innocent, protected, angelic presence. But there's a lot going on there that we don't see. There's a lot that, a lot of questions that she has that she doesn't elucidate in the movie. There's a lot of things that she doesn't know and that she's probably aware she doesn't know. And that final moment where the hands are touching on the glass to me is a moment of transmission in all of its forms, right? Like it's 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 a breaking of a barrier of a membrane, and it's also um, it's the it's the opening of a floodgate.
2: Doctor Aniston Lee.
0: visitor is that okay yes it's just unusual and there will be a time when our kids are older where like we will have to open that floodgate more than these little tiny holes that we've been putting in it and uh, and i really hope that i am prepared to do that just as a parent and so so from a parenting perspective 2049 is also more resonant than ever and it's through the character specifically of Staline that i'm seeing that and it's funny a lot of you know and on the on perfect organism like we talk about parenting all the time Right, because Ripley is our space mom. Because you know the relationship with Newt is one of my favorite film relationships ever, and I and I just think that what it says about the the nature of parenting and and loving for another human is just so profound. But in Blade Runner, like that's really not a theme that we get to that much, even though even though like the crux of 2049 is the fact that a child was born, right? It's something we don't really talk about very much because we don't talk about the child. We talk about the act of childbirth. We don't really talk about the life that came from that situation. We talk about the situation that led to it. Um, and I really hope that we can use parts of the series to unpack what Stalin's experience was as this, impossibility who was hidden, ensconced in a bubble for 30 something years or 28 years or whatever it was.
1: Um, I, I think it's going to be a really fascinating conversation. What's interesting, and I, I know we'll eventually talk about this in a separate episode, but when you just said that, it reminded me of like the Bible. And when Christ was born, right away, he wa- his presence was a threat to Herod. I think it was Herod Antipas. I can't remember what Herod it was, um, in the way that Stalin's the when it was made known to... Neander that a replicant child is somewhere in the world. She, he, she, became a threat to him and also a treasure to him as well. He wanted to control it. He wanted to control that narrative and use it for his own good. But it's interesting, like you said, what's how we're seeing things a little bit differently, especially in light of in light of uh, what we're all going through today. And, and especially I, 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 what I kept thinking about too is what happens when your stories, the stories you love become real. It's, we're so used to watching elements of life, the life that we're living now, Unfold in movies and we're going to the movies. And you said that, you know, your kids hadn't been into a a, um, grocery store since February. That's all, that's almost the only place that we can go as adults. We can't go to restaurants. We can't go to movie theaters. We can't entertain ourselves. You can't go to a, a baseball game. You can't go to a football game. Anything that we've had to distract ourselves to take part in a community sense of whatever is gone. Um, And now slowly they're opening things up. But even when they're doing that, a lot of people still aren't going to be going to those things because people are like, I don't know if I feel safe. So we're still, we're we're dealing with that as well. And I, I think about 2049 again, Like I think that was a world of people, either you probably went and had sex virtually or with a replicant or you went home and you had joy or whatever to distract you. I think that yeah, was they weren't a world... going to Philharmonic concerts or anything. Yeah, like they that. weren't, think, they know. weren't, it was a really depressive world. And we're living in a, in a, in a shade of that right now, how long this lasts, no one knows um, until they find a vaccine that's viable. Even then it's going to take a year or two before they can really have it. And even that, I mean, it's just, we're living this way for a long time. It's just, it's just the way it's going to be. Um, and again, it's, It's a difficult thing to process when you're these films that we watch um, become real in multiple facets, not just the distance, not just um, like, for instance, I saw this ad for match.com and they're like, Oh, virtual dating. Like they're talking about like virtual dating because you can't really go and meet anybody and what that is. And they showed a video and I'm like, wow, here we are, here we are in this society where this is what you do, um, and so we're processing that, and then we're processing um, the idea of replicants in our own society. And for a while, it was the the discussion of immigrants, and there was that comparison there. But now it's pushed itself into something far more real, and it's a conversation that very that we are having globally, certainly in this country, which is where it started. But it's on a global level, and it's it's so big and so important that no dark agent or dark player who's trying to steer it for their own means is able to, because it's such a big movement, um, to the light. Um, and it's you, all I can do is sort of sit back and see where it goes. I mean, that's sort of, we, we can talk about it. We can process through it, but it, it's a, it's a, it's not an easy thing. It really isn't. And it's interesting to see, um, the kind of social interactions that we do have, which is on Facebook or maybe for some people Instagram and how all of that has changed overnight. It's not the same place it was before. People don't even feel like they can talk anymore. Um, and even like friendships are changing. And even for me, seeing people that I know and trust or and, and loved in fandom, all of a sudden they're saying things and or they're disappearing and I'm like, holy shit, this was far more prevalent than I thought it was. I'll just leave that.
0: Well, I think what we're seeing is what happens when the world breaks, you know? I mean, and and that was a phrase that in 2049 when I saw it felt so kind of abstract, but the world broke COVID. Like that, like it, I mean, we have never had a pandemic hit that quickly and that insidiously across borders with so little containment, you know, in the last more than a century. But, but even then, I mean, I mean, this is in, in the digital age where, I mean, the Spanish flu was not something that everybody saw at the same time and realized was coming. Like the Spanish flu was something that made its way around the world and then newspapers would pick it up and say, oh, this is, you know, happening, blah, blah, blah. But with, but with COVID, it's like back in, De- in December, there were murmurings of something happening. And then by January, there were all of these cases spreading throughout Asia. And then we were just sort of watching the tsunami coming at, at the United States for what's felt like forever and thinking like, could this be like, like really like, could, could epidemiologists and, you know, et cetera, be, be really accurate about it. And I think I told you guys this, but a friend of mine, uh, her, her family friend is like a really well-respected person in like Fauci's arena. Um and and he sent this email to like his family friends that she forwarded to me and she and, and the whole thing was like this is going to be a catastrophe unlike anything we've experienced in the modern world and you need to be prepared for this and don't be surprised when toilet paper starts running low. Don't be surprised when gloves start becoming harder to find. You need to get masks if you have them now and start putting them aside. And and I remember reading that in February and thinking like man that's really scary. But you know I don't I don't know if that's you know if I mean we're in we're in you know twenty first century United States like we have these safeguards in place forgetting that we have no fucking functional central government let alone any cohesive you know narrative in the country for how to to run shit um and then watching things disintegrate so abruptly was so shocking that it really broke everything I mean it really i mean economically obviously things were broken it they will be repaired at some point but never the same way um socially all of these things that we took for granted you know from hugs to restaurants to movies to, to just the everyday life like that's all been broken that's never going back the same because even when it is it will be colored by this experience inextricably and then um because and this is something that I care very deeply about because of the line of work that I'm in um, this has hit poor people significantly harder than it's hit wealthy people. Right? It's hit minority populations significantly harder than it's hit majority populations. It's hurt people who don't have privilege far more than it's hurt people with privilege all over the world. Whether that be refugee camps or whether it be you know Europe, like this is this is a real thing that is having a disproportionate impact on on women, people of color, people without money, people without power, etc. And um, and it's something that is reshaping everything before our very eyes. its totally reshaping everything. But in the midst of that, as I mentioned on our interlinked episodes, it's also something that is hitting all of us. You know, even though it's hitting some of us significantly harder, like Dan, in the beginning, you were saying, you know, you're kind of counting your blessings in some ways because you do have some freedoms left. And, you know, I think we all can agree that we're counting all of our own blessings very much at this moment. It is still something present in our lives. You know, it's still something that is seeing us, you know, uh, rubbing bleach all over our groceries and having to explain things to our children that we can't explain to them and crying because we can't see our parents anymore and we're just sort of sitting inside the window looking at people we love and wishing we could go inside. Like just the other, you know, we just moved obviously. And um, my cousin, who's essentially my brother, uh, drove to surprise us. And he's uh, he's uh, an essential worker. He's in medicine and he, you know, has been going to work uh, every day during this thing, wearing full PPE suits with the, you know, the shields, the face shields on top. and top. And there there were something like, there were well over 50 cases, multiple dozens of deaths Hang on, there's a siren going by outside, which feels appropriate. Um, and uh, and he was, you know, and he works basically on the New York border. So this was when it was really ravaging New York and Connecticut that that this was happening. Um, and he was telling me, you know, all of these horror stories about what he was seeing. And his wife, you know, is a is an intensive care nurse who had patients in their 20s and 30s dying of COVID in early March. And like, uh, it was just an at ab- late March, rather, just an absolutely terrible time. Anyway, so he's somebody that I've been worried about so much this entire experience. And he's also somebody I talk to constantly every day. So I, I kind of know what he's going through. And he showed up at our doorstep to sort of give us a, a housewarming gift, which was like a ceramic gnome for the garden, kind of as like a good joke. Um, and he brought his, his girls. Um, and, and we were all, it's, it's the only time we've seen people you know, from our extended family during this entire thing. And he's somebody who like, you know, I, I, he really like, you know, we share the same blood. You know, I, I love this guy so much and, and we couldn't even hug each other. We couldn't get too close to each other. We had to just sort of stand there outside in the cold night and look at each other. And like that simple moment was so powerful because it was, you know, with all the shit that we're going through, even without having physical contact like that, the simple act of being in proximity to one another was so powerful. And that's something that I think um, will also forever be broken in some ways in a good way is that we will not take for granted how lucky we are to be close to each other. Like we're not going to forget how much time we went without being able to do that. And and I think that's something that could be ultimately a, a benefit you know? Definitely.
1: What you're saying reminds me of that scene in the food court when Kay is eventually approached by the three replicant prostitutes and then Mariette puts her hand on his hand and he looks at her like, almost like, why are you so close to me? Because you, you've, the world within that, just again what you're saying, looking at your cousin like this is it. Like, there's no closeness more than this. And then even, like, uh, my friend Louie, who you guys know, like, he was like, hey, we should hang out. We should go for a walk. And I'm thinking, that's what we have to do. That's the only thing we can do is go for a walk. Um, we can't do anything more than that. I can't sit down in his house, not because maybe I'm okay, but what if, what if I'm not? You know, they have children. They have whatever. Um, and I don't, it's so frustrating. And, um, again, it makes me think about Kay, because he lived a life of zero contact. Um, he lived a life with this projection that was supposed to be probably enough for him. And that's the life he lived. Um, and when he was approached with it, even when Mariette showed up at his house to sink with joy, there was this incredible sense of uncomfortableness he had with the whole situation. Um, where he just sort of was almost six feet away from her, just sort of staring at like, I don't know if I should be doing this um, because his baseline tests are almost grilling him, like, Have you been close to people? Have you touched to people touch people? Do you want to touch people? Where, who do you want to be with? Do you want a child? So he shouldn't want any of those things, and now. Now he's entering in that sphere of of going against his programming, essentially. Um, and now, as a society, we are being programmed to stay away, from- even. The idea of, like, we've been talking about coming to visit you, Patrick, like, what what that looks like. What do we have to do? Is it okay? How is it okay? And how do we make it okay? And is it okay to go into an airport and then sit on a plane for five hours while that air circulates? Who's on that plane as well? Who's asymptomatic or symptomatic that we don't know? I mean, there's all of these things that we have to take into account, and then we have to make a decision because then we're going to be sharing air with you in your house for a few days a week or whatever. And it's like a science fiction movie, it reminds me of Children of Men or something, it doesn't seem real. Um, and again, it's one of those things where these we see all of those things in movies or pandemics happening in movies or crazy things. And we're like, oh, wow, cool. Very interesting. Let's process that. What does that mean? And here we are in the thick of it. Um, and it's, it's rough. Um, and it's not even I remember in, before all this happened like last year recording episodes we'd like, oh man, that was a great episode that was some great things that we talked about now I feel like I can't I don't even know how to get to that place anymore of like oh yeah like where we've pushed through to some better understanding because we'll we'll hang this up and we'll be like okay back to life you know um they don't not that it doesn't satisfy me um but it's easier to process this shit when it's not real
0: something um. I, I wholeheartedly agree with you, Jamie, uh, in that regard. And and I, I think that that's part of why, I, like, again, I'm having a hard time coming up with angles to talk about this stuff with that feel genuine because I, because I, it's every, every time we do talk about these films, we kind of end with more questions than we have like room to get answers to, which again is, is part of the appeal of these movies in the first place. And it's part of what's great about them that they bring a lot of things up for us. But usually I think because it's abstract enough, we can kind of toss some of these things off as thought experiments a little bit, right? We can be like, well what if well i don't know but it's kind of holding a mirror up to our nature and we can kind of be like well you know what in my own life i can see this you know through this lens but now it like our lives are the fucking movie like there's no there's no separation from a lot of these things anymore and it's really hard to talk about i 100 percent agree with you i want to go back for a second you were talking about joy again um on our interlinked episode i think the last one you mentioned you kind of turned a corner with um with joy. And, and I think I, w- I would love to uh, have Micah on again, who is eight feet away from me studying for her nursing final boards um, right now. But what, after that's done, have her come back on and have some of our other, um, you know, frequent contributors and guests come on and talk about joy in the context of today. Because I think if another vector in society that is so, so transformed by this experience is digital life, it, it's it's become at once completely uh, omnipresent and completely toxic and completely uplifting too, because this social movement happening now could not happen in this manner without social media, without video footage being shared, without people sharing protest footage, without people, you know, standing up and doing what they do best. And I, and I feel like, um, you know, at the same time though, right? Like, I mean, I'm sure, I, I mean, I, as people know, listening to this, first off, I'm not avoiding you on social media. I just fucking never touch it anymore because I just find it so frustrating. So, so send me a message if you want to talk. Um, Um, But I I have found I found it even harder than normal to be okay going on social media lately because I get so worked up so quickly. And I see so many sides of people whom I love and respect that I just didn't want to see because I didn't want to know that they were that virulent or that, um, you know, having that hard of a time listening. And, you know, I give people benefits of doubts. I try to remember that everybody's under stress right now. I try to remember that these are not times that anybody is dealing with in any real productive uh way although people are being productive i don't want to say that especially social movement wise but like in terms of our personal ability to process this stuff like everybody is having is having a hard time to varying degrees um but my digital life right now is one that is very different from the one that it was a year ago you know like it's become. Um, I mean, even just the simple fact. Like just today. So so here we go. Today at work, where I haven't been physically in, in four months, but you know where I've been working full time this entire time, regardless from home. Um, I was uh, my friend's uh my colleague's son, Danielle, um, was on not 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 Danielle, but Danielle was on the screen. And he uh and he looked visibly older than he looked earlier in this COVID thing. And he came on and I was kind of shocked for a minute. And I was like, holy shit, you know, because he's two and a half. And when you're two and a half, like you look different every month a little bit still, you know. And I realized um we have been in this situation where people look different now. And it's not just, you know, me and Dan with our crazy hair, you know, like it's, it's people like are aging. We've been in this long enough that people are aging in front of us and we're not able to see them in real life doing that. We're seeing them on video doing that in the same space over and over and over and over and over again because my colleague with the son, i've been looking at her wall her orange wall behind her head almost every single work day now for the last four months like i know exactly what pictures are on the wall i know where the aloe plant sits you know i know every one of my colleagues i know exactly where they are in their house i've seen it a million times i know when their kids have you know electronic learning classes because a lot of the time it lines up with when my kids do when we all have to get off and you know set set up the the google hangout you know it's all of these things that have become so banal to us that are when you think of it so surreal still because we're like we're not seeing each other at all like we don't actually see each other ever anymore, ever. We just do it digitally. We do it virtually. And we are reaching that point, that event horizon, where I think we are starting to forget that that's the case a little bit. And I'm I'm saying that for me personally, as somebody who has been working full-time in this environment now for a very long time, I'm kind of forgetting that I'm just connecting via video now. I kind of feel like we're just sort of at work. And it's because that's my body's coping mechanism because if I were still thinking every single time, like, oh my God, this is a phone call and I'm on a video conference with somebody 300 miles away from me, I would have a very hard time being productive, right? Um, and I think that we are now just at a point where, like, this is just this is what our lives look like. This is what this is what connections look like now outside of our immediate household. Um, and there are beautiful things about that right? Like we are more mobile than ever. We have more freedom. Well, we have less freedom, but digitally speaking, we have in some ways more freedom than ever because everybody's online and everybody can contest privacy violations and things like that. Like there are a lot of really productive things coming out of it, but also it means that we are completely cut off from one another and it's just doing something to the ways in which we communicate and connect. And I think Joy as that incredible skeleton key of a character that she is, like would be an amazing discussion in this context. And so I'll offer it up now to People listening, if you feel like you want to come on that episode, um, you know, please, you know, let us know because um, I would hope for that to be another two-parter where we go crazy and stay up late and try to get into it.
1: That's a good segue to some uh, comments that we've received as we've because we're broadcasting live, as everyone knows. Um, Just want to say a shout out to Mike Andrews, how you doing? And Alexander House, friend of ours, David Benson, a friend of mine, friend of the show. uh, Mike, Um, asks the specific question. Do you guys think that we, the USA, Americans can change at this point? Should the United States fundamentally change in a large way? I was thinking, I was talking to someone, I was talking to some who think the USA cannot work now and the states need to be their own countries. Pretty radical, but I'm interested in what you think. I know we're sort of trying to relate things back to 2049 but we did it's a bit ahead of a heady topic that we're discussing i don't know if you guys want to talk about that or well dan's mr state's rights militia movement like
0: fucking (laughs) you know here we go (laughs) right <laughs> no, i'm just kidding what do, what do you what do you guys think about that? i mean to be to be fair and mike you know this so i'm not saying you don't know this but we are not policy experts on governance in the united states and our opinions are you know just our opinions we're just and, film nerds but it's still something to talk about it's just people right
1: and i think what's interesting to note here again as someone who sort of straddles the fence between or lives a life in between both cultures sort of the the culture that's Saying we want equality, which is the African American culture and the white culture, um, I sort of. I don't. I wouldn't want to say they're at war, but that's sort of where the awareness is right now. Um, I'll say one thing specifically that a lot of people that I've spoken to, even the allies, which I would say most people these days in terms of what's going on in this country, most people I've talked to are allies. Like, yes, this is true. This is right. We need to change blah, 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 blah. However, those same people are like, I don't know what's going to happen. They're kind of scared. They're like, I don't, I I hope this turns out. I hope this doesn't, I hope this doesn't like just disappear or like everything else. The African-American people in my life in terms of my family and my friends and people that I know, very different tune. They're like, this is the change we're looking for. Nothing is ever going to, be the same again. It's, it's this interesting perception. And then with Mike's comments, like oh, what's going to happen to this country? Are we going to fall apart? The States need to be their own countries. Like I, it's just interesting the perception, how people perceive this because everyone's so uncomfortable right now. And Americans do not like being uncomfortable. Full stop. They just don't. Um, Americans don't like to be made uncomfortable by anyone else. There's movies made about, oh, fuck, it's an American. You know, they, they're going to want everything. Or, you know, like, I mean, we're a parody in, in movies or if we go over to another country and we visit. Um, and Dan, you sort of you sort of live in between two worlds too because you're Italian. You're also half American. Not that that doesn't really make any sense, but you know what I mean, um, where you've lived in between two cultures. Um, but the perception of this social upheaval that's happening for people, are we are really uncomfortable and why are you bit why are you destroying property and some of my own frustrations with some people that we know who i call friend are all they're talking about is destruction of property and and oh they're not gonna have caps on the air anymore and what the fuck's going on i'm like like and i for me i'm like but this community i belong to have been exterminated and killed without thought since as long as we've been in this country why aren't you talking about that first why aren't you saying hey i know that this is important um what do you think as opposed to commentary on property? Um, And that's been really hard for me to deal with. It's been like this, even this morning I was talking with Patrick and I was like, I, I wanted to go on an unfriending spree. I'm not going to, but I wanted to because I'm like, why, why is this commentary trumping for you, for these people, their compassion? Why is your commentary more important than your compassion? Why not just say, yeah, I know a lot of things are going on right now. I really don't understand it. I might have my opinions, but I know that this is important to this, to this group of people who've been um, historically maligned in this country by the, uh, the structure and the people in power. Let's start there and then let's have another conversation. Um, And that, and that's, for me that's been very um and again to relate it back to Mike's conversation like or to Mike's comment like it I read that I'm like I can't connect it to like that's not what this is about this is about True and fair equality on every level in the in the social and socially um in the um judiciary system in the um the prison system every in every quadrant in every like that's what these conversations are about. They're not about breaking up into states or blah 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 blah. It's just about changing all that. And that change is gonna be really, really, really uncomfortable. As uncomfortable it was as Joshi knew it was gonna be if someone found out about Steline. She knew that it was gonna break the world and and... I, again, I don't think Americans like to be uncomfortable, I, and I, I don't think white people like to be uncomfortable, um, and I, it's sort of a blanket. It also applies to me. I've a very I've had a very wide experience in this world, despite not having that experience as a child. Um, and so I think we just have to be sort of careful about the conversations that we have, that we're not like throwing the narrative off. Well, I, I think he's talking
0: about COVID, though. I don't think he's talking about the BLM stuff. <clears throat> really? Fundamentally yeah, changing. Yeah, I
1: was talking to some who think USA cannot work now, and the states need to be their own countries i don't think that has anything to do with COVID, in my opinion I, I think it's it definitely could no, actually yeah
0: I, th- I think he means because there's no centralized government response to COVID, like it, what we were talking about a while ago so um, so so the
2: interesting thing is how we state perceive state things is kind of isn't big, it it is yeah <laughs> well i mean I, I think it's what's cool is that his comment while he may not have meant it to be ambiguous well, maybe he was thinking about something specific it
1: actually and he's not saying this his friend was saying this too sure so he's just right, offering
2: right. it to us. but i'm saying the comment um I think Mike's comment is, um, it does apply to both situations. We've seen so much central government versus local government disparity and just disconnection and problems of bureaucracy. I mean, you know, if you listen to um, oh, Mike's responding now, he's saying that it's both. He's saying the government has not been great with both situations, right? Which, yeah, makes sense. I mean, if you watched any, a little bit of, I watched a little bit of Obama's speech the other day. And while I'm sure he thinks certain things need to be done federally, he was like, there's 18,000 police departments in this country, Each of them has to solve their own issues locally. Like, I mean, I think it's a combination of things, but you know, Um, and again, because I feel strongly about the, how much I'm willing to talk about politics on this show, which is very little because I know that some people find a respite here. So I'm, I I like that we're having this conversation, but there's, I'm only going to uh, get into the politics of it so much, but I will say that, Um, occasionally it's brought up in 2049 about how does the government work because it seems like urban city areas might be kind of their own thing and it's really unclear whether the state of california even exists anymore or whether the u.s government exists anymore it seems like LAP you know la authorities and la bureaucracy has its own thing going on um so i think that in 2049 it's not far-fetched that by that point the country as we currently know it has fallen apart and, and looks completely different um
1: don't they even refer to places of sectors in 2019 sector nine sector seven yeah like what, and what still- are,
0: uh, there's a mega it's a series of megalopolises right there's aren't there three of them there's one in the middle of the country there's one in los angeles there's one for the east coast where are you getting that patrick it might have been the book i don't know wow okay i don't if somebody listening to this or watching this knows what i'm talking about f- fill me in on it because I, I got that from something but i don't know i don't know what but yeah, right. but but the idea is that there's 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 so many people in Los Angeles because it's not only a megacity; it's basically like a, a megalopolis. It's just this huge accumulation.
2: Yeah, and 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 also to Mike's point, I would also say I know Mike's a student of history, so I know that he has a lot of historical perspective on this kind of thing. And um, randomly, thanks to my mom, I got thrown into a three three weeks in a row course on Italian history from the 1800s, the three wars of um, unification. And then World War One, World War II, and like post-war, post-fascism and all that. And the lesson bane, we just bane. did was the rise of fascism in Italy. And it was really interesting to actually get into details of like, um, here's how the all the parties voted in 1922 in the Italian election. And here's who abstained. And like women couldn't vote. So here's, the, you know what I mean? Like looking at actual numbers of how things were going down and how like the fascists, for example, had very little support at first but people kind of stopped fighting um like the communists and the democratic uh christian party the democratic catholic party i forget the exact name of it which represented sort of a center left majority they seceded from parliament and so the fascists were left in parliament like well, all we gotta do is like beat those two dudes up over there and we can write our own laws and that's exactly what happened they just started making fascist laws in italy so uh and again i'm not drawing direct parallels to right now because this for me isn't context for that but i'm just saying it's interesting you guys are talking about change and like what's going to happen what's the country going to look like and all that and so it's interesting to read a little bit more about the history of a country who has gone through extreme changes just in the last couple hundred years um you know and, and again i think it's important to pay attention to what was the feeling at the time what were people going through what groups were coming up and going down it's all like very recent these are very similar people to us you know so i think it's really interesting to pay attention to that and lastly, since I know Alexander House is watching, I just wanted him to uh, see my T1 shirt that I just got. Cause I'm pretty the
0: inferior tired. Terminator movie, <laughs> Xander. And, and <laughs> we Daniel do not Cinelli. have time for this. <laughs> this is a frame rate episode on oh, Terminator It's two. the better it's movie. Terminator, Terminator 1 is the better
1: movie. Oh, my God. Is. Jamie. Two out of three. <laughs> Burn! T2 is just a remake. <laughs> so, careful. Okay. well i think that this conversation um it's a good probably stopping point we've been on for about an hour and a half um, yeah okay, we can wrap but i i think that there's a lot to unpack and i i i know even and you talked about talking about politics dan like i i'm certainly a little bit trepidatious about it too. Like, I don't want to alienate people. At the same time, I don't view the struggle to find equality, to struggle to be seen fully as human as political. I don't view that as political. I, that, I see that embodied in Blade Runner. Now we're seeing it play out. And I'm not saying that you view it as political either, Dan. I'm just sort of um, uh, articulating right, right. how I feel. And I feel the the freedom to discuss that here as it relates to America, because it's life imitating art now, where it's you know, we've talked about science fiction authors warning us about the future. You no, know, it was a warning. This was a warning. Like we don't want to. And we've had this warning about um how you treat people year after year after year movie after movie book after book after book whether it's dumb books like i don't know if it's a dumb book but if it's like a ya novel like the hunger games um where it's not maybe highbrow it's a little bit more lowbrow but still they're telling the same story you better be careful how you treat people because they're going to rise up if you if you squash them too long you have children of men you have blade runner you have so many films even elements of star wars dune i mean all of these all of these warnings all of these not, signs. Not to mention
2: 1984 with all these like oh, curfews and and totally. very quick laws being enacted and executive orders, you know, that kind of environment. It's mm-hmm. very there's a lot of 1984, which I just found out was um, f- photographed by uh, Roger Deakins. I did, did not know that before.
1: The commercial was? No, no, 1984. The oh, film. oh, I'm sorry. I said commercial because... You really thinking Scott the, uh, Scott? You're thinking commercial. of the Apple commercial? Yeah. Right,
2: right, right. Yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, same time period. But no, I'm talking yeah. about the 1984 film about 1984. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, but, but, I, but, go but real quick side note, I know it's been mentioned before, but I'm like three or four episodes into the new Team Deacons podcast, and it's him and his wife, James, and then they bring in different guests talking about like if you're into photography for example they talked about in detail the process of silver retention and like how to pull different things for f- fascinating stuff mm. and roger deakins is just him and his wife are just a pleasure to listen to so highly recommend the podcast
1: that's awesome that's no, one sir- of the
0: one of the silver linings of this experience is the is the growth in podcasting because everybody's at home you know all you need is a microphone and a web connection you can have a. I i mean i've been listening to so many more uh like sort of small upstart podcasts lately even well actually this is not an upstart podcast Podcast, but you mentioned cops earlier um there's a podcast from pineapple street that came out last year called running from cops about the show and and i i, I recommend it wholeheartedly uh as uh, for, for many reasons that you'll get if you listen to it it's a, it's a really good podcast last but i do want from... to say yeah go oh ahead. yeah there's a comment go ahead well i just no, I, 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 go Let No, you go no you know you know you, no, you. <laughs> okay i'll go you hang so i i feel like i feel like um I, I don't want to apologize for uh, having an honest conversation as a human on the podcast. And I'm not a fucking robot. Um, I am also, uh, like, if you, if, you are, if, you, if you are a Blade Runner fan because it's escapist entertainment for you, then you have every right to that feeling and every right to that opinion. But I don't know why you would still be listening to this podcast at this point, because we we have spent years now diving into every detail of this thing and having philosophical conversations about it that go on for three hours at a time, and that's not escapism. I I mean, I I, if you watch it for the spaceships, like you know, great, but that's that's not that's not why we're here right now. Um, and I and I don't. uh, That that being said, though, like there, there there will always be material for you to. Listen to in this podcast and there will be plenty of episodes in this 2049 series that we will be more technical on we will be talking more you know we're going to have interviews with authors of the philosophy books and people who have contributed to you know the editing on those we've you know we're going to have traditional straight up Blade Runner talk in this series as well but the reality is, is, we are living through absolutely unprecedented times, and we are really deeply affected by those times as people and as creative people and as movie fans. And um, and and I don't want to feel paranoid every time we put a, an episode out that somebody's going to be so deeply offended by me talking about human rights that they they lash out. In a Facebook comment, or they write in the Podbean comments that I should kill myself, which is <laughs> <as, as> literally has <laughs> happened before. Sorry, dude, that it's guy ridiculous. Is so crazy. I know. Um, and so, I, so, I, so, just like don't, so just don't do that. Like, if if this is too much for you, then I'm I'm sorry, but we will come back to things that are a little bit easier to digest. But I'm not as a person. Sitting on this planet, contributing, going to pretend like I'm not living through something extraordinary and trying to process it through the art that, that I love so dearly and, and that you do too. And we're not politicizing it. We are I don't not. think so either.
1: And really, like for me as a child, as a teenager, I, I survived because of movie. I survived because of Ripley. Um, I survived because these stories gave me hope. And I think right now these stories are contextualizing how we approach um, going outside of our house how we approach everything, how we approach visiting people. These stories are making real um, our life right now. They're they're parallel in some fundamental ways. I want to uh, read one last awesome comment by Mike Andrews. Um, he says, last word from me, the rise of fascism reminds me of people looking to Wallace for salvation in very desperate times, allowing him to puppeteer not only our lives, but the replicants as well. I wonder if we will see a reflection of that in our own world. Thanks, guys. You all are great. You all are a great voice together. I think that that's fascinating. I don't think we're in that. I don't think Donald Trump has anything important enough for us to let him change laws or give him enough power. Um, He's proven to be useless. Um, But- in the context of Blade Runner, that's very true. They needed Neander Wallace so much that they were willing to bend all sorts of laws for him. And then he has these towers and essentially he makes the laws. He comes and goes as he please. Um, it's like the LAPD answers to him, he doesn't answer to them. He can send a, a replicant over there and kill him, and kill a, and kill people. And He's not going to pay for it um, because he could rescind all of his technology and the world would go to shit um, or more to shit than it already is at that time. But it's it's that's that's an that's a a whole subject or idea for a topic in terms of Neander Wallace that i would never even thought about, how they've propped this god up um, because he had a lot to offer. But it's also interesting because some of the, like, for instance, in Hollywood, if people think you're important, they will give you power. If people think you do not have anything to offer them, they will not even give you the time of day and what that is like. And that happens on a political level too. I mean, that's what lobbyists are. I mean, you, you want something, We'll get, we'll give you something if you give us something. So it's, and so then you have these congressmen and senators passing these laws or throwing in all of these things in these, these bills to make their, the people who are giving them money happy. And that's how Neander Wallace was born in some ways. So again, fodder for another larger discussion, but it's weird that, or it's, I I love that more questions are coming out uh, that I'd never even thought.
2: I'd be remiss if I didn't take a second, thanks to Patrick's reminder about esca- escapism, to take a break for capitalism for a second, and mention our Patreon program, which you can uh, join at com forward slash support, or perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Goes to the same Patreon. Um, anyways, we are doing uh, our frame rate movies, and sometimes the guys are throwing in a shit show for the, uh, from, from the Alien show. You guys do what, like Alien vs. Predator and those kinds of films? Yeah, we
1: haven't like, done a shit show in a while. We need to you get guys are do. Yeah, um, yeah.
2: Yeah, and so there's plenty of escapism there. And our Patreon for in terms of getting the extra shows starts at only two dollars a month, so it's really affordable. And uh, thank you to all of our patrons, um, including some that have been on listening. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know how to pronounce it, Patrick, but Patrick added Godzilla versus Biolante. What is it? It's like the My Italian monster. Does he, does he have like a mustache?
0: Biolante. Biolante. <laughs> is the type of the Morca pasta a little bit Aroma. short but also kind of long. Biolante. <laughs> 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 yeah no, yep yeah, that's the best fucking Godzilla movie, Dan Godzilla's uh, uh, Godzilla's I, I, I didn't doubt it that's so there's plenty and there of is plenty here, of room for escapism in film and and I, as you guys know as well, I go highbrow lowbrow, everything in between these eyebrows cover every No fucking- brow. Yeah, no brow. Um, But but Blade Runner to me is just not that. It's just it's Blade Runner. It's it's we are lying to ourselves if we talk about Blade Runner like it's just a simple movie with cool aesthetics in it, right? But um, but yeah. But I love talking about action films and I love talking about shoot 'em up random crap because I love that stuff deeply. So you know, if you want to hear us talk about that, just tune into Frame Rate for a while
1: totally we have some great films coming up like 2001 and a couple more that we discussed into the spider-verse which is greenlit for a sequel in production and the third one what is it dan What's the third one? Dan chose it. Uh, no, I, no, no, no. no I, chose it.
2: I chose Spider-Verse. Okay. Even though you would assume it's Patrick's choice. Uh, Patrick <laughs> chose Moonlight. So. Moonlight.
1: Oh yeah.
0: I a watch that. Well. Which is one of the most lyrical, beautiful, extraordinary films I've seen in, in the last decade. It's just an incredible movie. I can't wait awesome. to talk about So it. we have
1: a lot in store for you guys. Thank you so much for watching, for listening. Um, And for hanging around i know our our release schedule sort of been all over um we're trying to stay as regular as possible but much like everyone else we have a lot we're dealing with as well we're trying to navigate our own lives in the middle of this chaos so thanks for being there thanks violante violante
2: it's a grande spaghetti monster
1: To find out more about Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast, please visit us on our website at www.perfectorganism.com. Shoulder of Orion is available for listen or download through Apple iTunes, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio. If you'd like to join in the discussion, please join our official Facebook discussion group, Fields of Calantha, a Blade Runner discussion group.